0: And welcome into another episode of The Damn Podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network and powered by BeaverBlitz.com. I'm your host, Carter Baines, joined as always by BeaverBlitz.com publisher Angie Machado. We're back after a quick, brief little hiatus. We missed uh, Sunday's recap of the Oregon State-Utah game. It was a little under the weather. We've both been very busy the last few days. Didn't get a chance to get that in. I was traveling that day Anyway. Um so we're here. We're gonna we're gonna recap Utah a little bit and then also look ahead to Oregon State's game on the farm at Stanford late, late, late Saturday night, late. eight PM kickoff. Uh but Angie, since we haven't uh since we haven't touched base on the podcast since last Thursday, how have you been doing this past week?
1: It it's been good. Like you said, it's been crazy busy. Um, so it's been a, a, a whirlwind and goodness, that eight o'clock game. So Carter, you know this, but we were actually, my family was supposed to be traveling to Fort Myers, Florida tomorrow. Um, We had rented a canal house, just a little R&R as the kids are getting a little older. um, And that hurricane totally decimated it. So I was already kind of concerned about that like midnight kickoff, 11 o'clock kickoff, but not going back East now and um, ready for that 11 or 8 a.m. or 8 p.m. game here uh, local time.
0: It's a little easier to to digest yeah. those early kickoffs when you're on the West coast, I guess. But like, I'm just crunching the numbers and I'm like, I, I might be at that press box until three in the morning. I, I know. know that they, they, the Stanford press box closes three hours after the game ends. So okay. there will be a, a drop dead time where I'll have to leave. But I, th- this, this could be like a two 30 AM situation in, in that press box, which I think would probably set a new record. For that for I, I want I to say like, 1 45 2 a.m um at, at usc last year was the record all so i can we'll say see. is
1: thank god you're young because i'm old that that just sounds brutal to me but you're young. well that'll
0: that'll set me back though for a few <laughs> days because i i think back to you know a couple of games last year those early flights coming back to oregon the next day after a very very late night not even getting back to the hotel until like 3 4 a.m like There, there have been situations where I have not slept the night after a game. So Sunday, Sunday morning content is, uh, yeah, it's you never know what you're going to get after after away games.
1: Do you have um, an early morning flight then Sunday?
0: 10 a.m. Okay. So like, not it's not terrible. You know, it's not like a 6:45, 7 a.m. flight or anything. But okay,
1: but you'll be we'll be running on fumes. You've been a little you've been a little under the weather. So um, yeah trying to doctor you up but uh, i know i've got
0: my i've got my gatorade on hand we're staying we're staying hydrated uh gatorade if you want to sponsor us by the way the damn podcast (laughs) the official podcast of taking a day off every now and then that's
1: right Um, no carter it's been rough for you and i've been trying to to uh cover where i can but then of course my week got crazy busy too the one week that you get sick so um just stay healthy lots of hand sanitizer and uh yeah, it's been touch and go whether Carter was even going to go to Stanford. So I'm excited that you're actually going to
0: go. It was a game time decision I had to decide this morning before I checked in for the flight. Checked in at one fifteen and said, all right, we're doing this thing. So we're I'll put on a flight out of Eugene on Friday and uh, we'll get down there. I mean, almost 48 hours before this game even kicks off with how late it was. I was just thinking, I was like, seems like kind of a waste of time to get down there Friday afternoon when this thing's not till Saturday, you know basically, at, at midnight, practically. <laughs> um, but that's the that's the risk you run when you don't find out kickoff times until two weeks in advance, I suppose.
1: well that it, there's it's bay area. lots of lots of things you can do, yeah. even down in the South Bay.
0: and I'm like down the street from the Apple campus too. so I think I might might see if they do like tours or something like that. I don't know if if anyone lives in in the cupertino San Jose area and has any recommendations, I'll take them because. I'll have like 36 hours to kill before kickoff. So, there you go. Um, that's uh that's that's where we stand there, but we have a lot to cover because we didn't record on Sunday. So, We didn't
1: even do you didn't even do a he said. And I actually was pretty proud of my she said this week.
0: I know. I I I thought about just running yours and, you know, calling it like that's what she said or something like that, <laughs> but I didn't I <laughs> <laughs> would it would have been i mean that would have been a good idea in hindsight i just i just didn't i didn't have the time that was good thing, okay yeah so maybe in the future if if i don't yes. have time for he yes. said you can you can run with yeah, and run with that that, but, that that was clever um the uh yeah all of the office references i feel yes. like didn't, didn't yes. we do like a beeves broncos yes. Battlestar galactica yes. or something yes. like that
1: or the montana state game yeah
0: that's right. It was before Montana State. All right, we've wasted too much time. We gotta jump in here. Let's <laughs> let's talk some Utah because that uh, we we haven't put a bow on that yet. And I know probably the, all of the listeners right now are like, "Do we really need to go back? Do we really need to relive that?" It was a forty-two to sixteen loss for Oregon State. Obviously, very ugly game. Um, but that's going to kind of set the stage for the way we preview Stanford because I think. A lot of our takeaways from that game lead into a lot of the things that Oregon State needs to clean up. Some of the concerns we have about the beeves entering this week. So let's just, let's, let's start with that game in Salt Lake City. Angie, obviously the the main takeaway is the interceptions, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean I four think... interceptions for, for the second week in a row, you're not going to win many games when you turn the ball over like that. And you can't take it away yourself. And sure enough, Oregon State is 0-2 in those last two games.
1: Yeah. I mean, you look at that, they're, um, eight take eight turnovers with none, no takeaways. So um, in the past two games, you can't win games and especially against the top two teams in the conference. So, um, you know, I, I might have a different take than, I don't I don't know, We you and I haven't really talked a ton about our thoughts on this because you haven't been feeling good, but um, I, I know there's been a ton of kind of negativity surrounding Chance Nolan and, and throwing the picks. I'm gonna take a different tact. And I mean, yes, he threw the balls, they weren't good, but here's my, here's my beef here. Carter is the fact that, okay. Chance Nolan has just come off of throwing four interceptions. Okay. Against USC.
0: Oh, I already see where you're going with this.
1: I, okay. So <laughs> they start him off. Cover, Peter, cover your ears. Brian cover ears Brian <laughs> I'm not trying to bash you, but this is my question. So you have a guy who's just thrown four interceptions. Confidence is down. So, what do you do when you get the ball to start the game? You go pass, pass, which ends up an interception. Okay. Leads to a score. Short field. Okay, got it. Next possession. Oregon State ran five times in a row, two of which were quarterback design or quarterback runs, which is what we've been talking about: building some confidence, getting those guys going. They were averaging seven yards a carry, yet again. Then and and those went,
0: QB keepers were, I mean, those were not like two, three-yard carries. No. They were like seven to ten-yard runs. So, and there.
1: I loved it. So, so okay, five runs, one 15-yard pass, and then you had that little double reverse to Silas Bolden touchdown.
0: 29 yards for, for 29 Silas Bolden there. So, Showed off his speed. I, I think we've seen a lot of that reverse play, and I, yes. I want to see more of it because it's been unstoppable.
1: But, but Chance Nolan, that is his strength, is yeah. his being able to use his legs. So I sat there and I thought, okay, Lindgren got into a groove here. This is how we need to play this game. What happens the very next possession? We go incomplete pass, pick six, yet again to Clark Williams' side of the field on an out route. I I was so frustrated because to me that's that's a that's a call. I mean, that's an offensive coordinator. When you have a guy throwing interceptions already, why in the hell are you throwing to Clark Phillips side of the field after you've just got done running seven yards? A clip. I, that is to me is, and, and there's been some talk on Twitter. I was in with talking with Timmy Hernandez, former Beaver wide receiver um, on Twitter earlier today. And he said, you weren't going to win a game with Utah. If you were just trying to ground it, ground and pound. I disagree because if you take away the two short fields that Utah scored touchdowns, plus the pick six Oregon state defense holds them to 21 points. And I think Oregon state's running game Well, they're not going to get seven yards to carry the entire game. They were moving the ball, and that was Utah defense's weakness.
0: You pretty much covered all of the points that I <laughs> outlined on our on our recap, so maybe we just move on. But um, no, so obviously the interception, there's, there's a lot that go into interceptions. We've talked about this before. It's not always just the quarterback. It comes down to protection. It comes down to play call. It comes down to the defender. Um, in our show notes here in, in the rundown, I just wrote Clark Phillips. The third is a dog. dog. Like, this guy, this is a very, very good football player. I think we just witnessed him um, put together probably three NFL scouting, you know, highlight yes. type plays uh, in, in that game. In fact, Jonathan Smith, Brian Lindgren, uh, you know, they, they talked about it this week. They said a couple of those interceptions Point blank were Clark Phillips the yeah. third making great plays, you know, especially you the first one. I think the first field? one and the third one. Um, the pick six, like like you just mentioned, when you're throwing um kind of on a you know, out in the flat there, it's a one-on-one type situation, and, and Phillips just jumps the route. That's the one that Jonathan Smith said did not like that read at all by chance. He has to find another receiver. So your point there definitely stands. I I think. Two of the other interceptions, one thrown by Chance Nolan and, and one thrown by Bengal Branson, very much just Clark Phillips, the third, making a great play. And R.J. Hubert, as well, the, the Utah safety, yeah. who's, had a, who's had a great year, he had the fourth pick in that game, uh, return that 70 yards to, to the Utah or to the Oregon State side of the field. Just great plays by the Utah defense. And I, I think that can't go under the radar. Because while Oregon State is is absolutely at fault for for a lot of this, that Utah secondary is probably the best Oregon State is going to see this year. So I I think credit, you know, credit where it's
1: but, due. But Carter, okay, so but you and you and I both had the same question going into the season with the receivers. Yeah, the the question marks there. Um, how frustrating is it? I mean, I I, I get we cannot see the beavers be one dimensional and try to run all the time because we know what happens that with that, but.
0: Especially when it's not entirely efficient.
1: Exactly. Exactly. But when you have questions already about your receivers, um, wh- where are the, the, the plays just to get small chunks, where are the little, the bubble screens, the slants, um, just to get the ball in the, because Oregon State's receivers are not big and tall and going to be able to out, out jump a Clark Phillips or most DBs their strength comes in open field speed and getting the ball in space. I don't
0: know. No,
1: I was disappointed with play calling in that game.
0: Yeah. I, I like that point because I think that's where we've seen a lot of like a guy like Treshawn Harrison make big plays. I go back to that Fresno state touchdown. He scored on the screen. It's like, that's a guy who like, yes, obviously he has his, his struggles with drops from time to time. But when you get the ball in his hands, like, watch out because he's a guy who can make stuff happen after the catch. Silas Bolden as well. We know how Anthony fast Gould. he is. Anthony yeah. Gould. I mean, those three guys right there are, are some of the fastest receivers in the pac 12. Um, So I, I like your point there, uh, you know, just check it down, throw some screens, some, some quick slant routes. Those are easier for the quarterbacks as yeah. well. So. And
1: build some confidence for them.
0: Exactly. So that's, you know, I, I think the first second drive against Stanford you try to establish the run, but then you also get the short passing game going and see if your receivers can make some plays against that Stanford secondary. Um, Before we move on and and take a full deep dive into Stanford, let's talk about the defense against Utah, because I think it, I think it kind of went underappreciated because you look at the final score and you see Utah's got 42 points and you're thinking, wow, that's a, a pretty rough game for Oregon state's defense. Well, Seven of those came on a pick six. Like you mentioned, like 21 of them came because of interceptions alone. You know, you get yeah. those short fields and, and Utah's at least going to come away with three. Um, I, I think the fact that Oregon State outgained Utah in this game is is kind of a testament to just how well the defense played for most of it. And and actually, if you look at the game flow, I mean, the youths were held scoreless. They were stuck on 21 for. Like almost two full quarters of play. I, I think they scored on the first drive of the second quarter and didn't score again until almost all the way through the third. Yeah. Um. So that's, I, I, mean, I mean, that's, that's the bulk it. of the game right there. With that, they yeah. they were held scoreless.
1: Yeah, I I agree. And and you and I actually talked about this a little bit. Um. I know because I didn't. I hadn't looked at all the stats and everything because it just felt like offensively Oregon State couldn't get things going. But you're right. I mean, defensively they held them. They kept. They kept it a game when it really, that's that's where though it's missed opportunities of not being able to get an interception or a turnover of their own. But that's the thing about this Utah team. And we can talk about this later, but I actually think Utah is better, way better than USC because they're just such a solid team, well-coached and just don't make mistakes.
0: I mean, you think about this, the fact that Utah was stuck on 21 points for so long, and Oregon State had opportunities in this game to to tie, to take the lead, to take advantage of of that of of you know the defense's play, just came up short in the red zone, three yeah. times in a row. They had to settle for three points. Atticus Sappington converting, I believe, from twenty six twice and from thirty one on three consecutive drives. And man, if, if you score touchdowns on those three drives, you have probably a double digit lead. Um, yeah. Did,
1: what, were late, you surprised in third
0: quarter in that game?
1: Were you surprised by the Beavers' inefficiency in the red zone?
0: Well, I think a lot of it came down to the turnovers. I mean, they yeah. threw two end zone picks. I, I want to say another one of those picks was in the red zone, if yeah. not the end zone. Um, so I think that's where it, what it came down to. Now, again, credit to Utah's defense, because we know that this has been, continues to be, and probably will be for a very long time, mm-hmm. one of the best, if not the best defenses in the Pac-12. And we've seen it with Oregon State's improved defense. Once you get down in the red zone, things get a lot tighter it's a lot more difficult to move Mm -hmm. the ball um so again credit to utah's defense it's a very good team oregon state was up against um but it did feel kind of uncharacteristic for oregon state to come up short and to get down inside the 10 a couple of times and have to settle for three points we're not used to seeing that but when utah is so good at taking away the run and when the pass is just flat out not working very difficult to make things happen in the red zone
1: yeah i mean you're like I said, but to be able to, to get the field goals, you, you can't trade touchdowns for field goals against Utah. Yeah,
0: yeah. And ultimately it, it did end up costing Oregon State. The fourth quarter was frankly kind of a train wreck. Uh, <laughs> Utah runs away with it 42 to 16 in a game that felt like it was closer than the score. But when you take the interceptions into account, maybe it wasn't. I don't know. It's I felt like it was kind of a hard game to recap because I thought Oregon State did a lot of. I thought Oregon State did a lot of really good stuff, to be honest. Yeah. It was just the only thing that held them back were really the interceptions. interceptions and and yeah. maybe I guess the red zone inefficiency. And the red zone, I think yeah. those things kind of go hand in hand.
1: Yeah. But but yeah, an inefficiency to score touchdowns in the red zone and have to settle yeah. for field goals was a was a big one. But I agree. It it just never felt like Oregon State could get in any kind of rhythm at all. Yeah.
0: All right. That's probably enough Utah talk, right? <laughs> it is. I mean, here we because, are. You know what? We're Thursday.
1: It, it, it is Thursday and yeah. it's game week and we got Sanford on the on the horizon.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I did want to touch on Oregon State's quarterback situation before we got too far into this. In fact, I, I wanted to open the show with this. Um, we don't know who's going to start on Saturday. Could be Bengal Branson, could be Chance Nolan, we don't know. My gut tells me that well, okay. I mean, I, I assume everybody listening knows what happened in the Utah game, but um, <laughs> Chance Nolan obviously left the game, went to the locker room with a neck strain. Ben Goldbranson came in and, and played the final three quarters. We're, I, I think we're leaning towards expecting Ben Goldbranson to, to start against Stanford, but we can't rule Chance out yet, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of yeah, your read on this.
1: But I, I just think from what I'm hearing, unless, I mean, We know that Smith is really good at gamesmanship, but Mm -hmm. between listening to him on Monday at the press conference, listening to what he said on Canzano, it just doesn't sound like it's going to be, you know, he, he, he really said, I mean, he said Monday that he wasn't chance was day to day, but that he wasn't going to get the start if he didn't take the, you know, majority of practice.
0: Yeah. That's the key. It's, you know, Nolan has to, not only does he have to practice, but he has to look good doing it because obviously, on top of the injury, he has just been flat out abysmal as far as holding onto the ball in the last two weeks. So it's like, you got to be healthy, but you also have to be confident and, you know, and and executing in practice. And it, it doesn't sound like he is all of those things right now. And so I, I think my read is if the game was tonight, Ben would get the start. Yeah. Yeah. And I just don't know if two days is enough for a chance to kind of flip that script but we're going to talk a little bit more about that as the show goes on i just wanted to kind of put that out there to begin with because obviously i think that is the biggest point of of news and and concern and whatnot at at oregon state this week and
1: then how about i just i just throw it out there because luke musgrave is still out yeah trey low is still out trey they say is getting closer but did you catch the press conference monday when some when somebody asked if luke musgrave had had surgery Yes. (laughs) and,
0: yes. <laughs> and,
1: and Jonathan got this yeah. like deer in headlight look, and he looked off in the distance. He might have been looking at DVD, and he kind of paused, and he goes, "I I can't go there.
0: I don't yeah, know." I, I think he there. said, "I he said I don't know where I can go and where yeah. I can't on that." So you read between the lines a little yeah. bit, and it doesn't sound great as far as you know. Luke Musgrave has having surgery, but we're not going to speculate on, on, you know this guy's health that's obviously there's a reason they, they can't say but um stanford let's talk stanford let's do it oregon state going down to the farm saturday night 8 p.m espn uh robert griffin the third
1: i know that's exciting
0: nice a uh, nice crew with mark jones yeah. rg3 Quint kesenick uh, that's that's one of espn's best crews right now so you know, obviously the Pac-12 does kind of get the, the short end of the stick sometimes with those 8 p.m. kickoffs, ESPN, but at least Oregon State fans will have a, a good crew to listen to. I'll be on hand yeah. at yes, Stanford Stadium, along with a, a raucous Oregon State home field advantage crowd down there. <laughs> uh,
1: well, just look, because we'll like Stanford is horrible at drawing any crowd, but look at all of the Beavers that are from the Bay Area. There, yeah. There's going to be so many friends and family down there. It will, it will be a, a raucous crowd.
0: I, I know from, I mean, I've, I've never been to a game down there, but just watching all of the times Oregon State has played there, it seems like it has been very close to to a 50-50 split. And there's one year in particular that stands out to me, I'll never forget this, where um, Stanford specifically instructed fans not to wear their San Francisco Giants gear to the game. <laughs> I, I think the Giants were either in the World Series or the NLCS or something at the time, and You know, obviously being in the Bay Area, there's a lot of Giants fans there. Well, San Francisco's colors are orange and black. And so Stanford fans were specifically instructed not to wear Giants gear to the game. And I thought that was hysterical. Which is hilarious. I mean, how often do you see a fan base like being told what to wear and what not to wear? Especially
1: a Stanford, like some of the smartest, you know, alumni probably, you know, in the, but they're not sports savvy.
0: I just I just thought that was that was kind of funny and, and very telling of where that fan base is at. But um, yeah, great tailgating getting there, too. though, Carter.
1: Great. Tail right? Get there early. Walk around the Grove a little bit. Um, it, it's a good, good spot.
0: That's an awesome campus, too. I'm probably going to spend some time there on Saturday before the game. But uh, let's let's talk about Stanford specifically. So Oregon State has its share of injuries and, and Stanford does, too. Cardinal have actually only played four games this year. They've they've already had their bye. Um, terrible, terrible scheduling. I, I know that's not obviously all they're doing, and they have some non-conference uh, guarantees that they have to fit in there. So bye weeks can kind of come at odd times for Stanford, and this was one of them. Um, but even with the bye week early on in the year, they do have some injuries, some key injuries to EJ Smith, their starting running back, obviously Emmett Smith's son. Um, I want to say high four-star, five-star yeah. recruit out of high school, was very productive in the first couple of weeks, but he's out for the rest of the year with his injury. Uh, so we'll see Casey Filkins, the Lake Oswego native and one-time Oregon State top recruit target. Yeah. Uh, I know he was high on Oregon State's board at one time. Hard to believe that he's a junior, by the way. It makes me feel old because I feel like we were just talking about him on the recruiting trail about a year ago. Um, we'll see a lot of him in EJ Smith's absence on the defensive side, cornerback Caillou blue Kelly, I think probably without a doubt Stanford's best overall player, Tanner McKee at the quarterback position would um, probably has something to say about that, but Caillou blue Kelly, their best Tanner McKee. Player.
1: speaking of, it sounds like, it seems like he's been there forever.
0: Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> very true. Uh, a lot Sorry. of those Stanford guys do seem like they, uh, They've they've been there for a long time. But uh Caillou Blue Kelly is out with an injury as well, which is a, a huge blow to Stanford's defense. Uh, you know, his his numbers haven't been necessarily where they've been out in the past. You know, I think last year it was he uh he led the Pac-12 and passes defended, and, and he only has one this year. But um, that's that's a huge loss for that defense, especially against an Oregon State team that is going to be looking to get some momentum back in the passing game. I think things get a little bit easier with with probably the best corner in the Pac-12 out this week.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, I like the matchup though. I Road games kind of scare me just because we all know how um, road games have kind of been an Achilles heel for Oregon state the past uh, several years. But um, I think this is a, a really good opportunity for the Beavers to A, win on the road and B, kind of flip that uh, two consecutive loss narrative that has plagued them the past couple of weeks.
0: And speaking of that matchup, I, I I just feel like Oregon state matches up very well against the Stanford team. You know, you look at the strengths and, and weaknesses of both sides. Well, it's like S- Stanford's biggest strength. And and really the only thing that it has had going for it through four games is, is it's passing offense. Yeah. Hasn't been able to run the ball very well. It's defense has looked atrocious at times, but that passing offense with Tanner McKee, with a very strong receiving core, um, you know, the, the Cardinal have been able to move the ball through the air. Well, look at the flip side. Yeah. What's Oregon State's biggest st- strength? Probably the pass defense. If, if yeah. you're looking at this team at a whole right now, it's it's probably the offensive line and the defensive backfield. And so I think you put guys like Jaden Grant, Rajon Wright, Alex Austin, Katano Ladopo against a very strong Stanford passing offense, and mm-hmm. you have to feel confident about that group's ability to, to kind of render that um, – if not ineffective at at least kind of a wash. And then uh, the rest of the way, I think Oregon state has an advantage in pretty much every area.
1: Yeah. And where I really want to see Oregon state kind of jump on this is Sanford's Rundy is not very good at all. Yeah. Um, average. I believe they're giving over 225 yards a game right mm-hmm. now. Rushing. Um, this is a chance for Oregon state really, which I don't feel that we have seen Oregon state establish a run um, very consistently over the, the season. So this would be a chance for them to do so um, potentially against uh, a Stanford D that's been reeling a little bit there.
0: That defense has looked pretty suspect all year. And, you know, I I think we'll we'll talk about this in just a second, a little more in depth, but excuse me, Stanford's played some really good offenses. Yes. Oregon obviously is, is always one of the better offenses than PAC 12 Washington has Michael Penix jr. who could very well be the best quarterback in the country this year. Um, And who's the other, Oh, and they played USC, which I mean, as, as a whole has probably one of the top five offenses in college football. So I I don't know how much we can really read into the defensive numbers for Stanford. Obviously, you know, they, Oregon state has executed against teams of of that caliber. So, um, you know, we have to, we have to say, well, some teams are getting it done against them, but, um, I, I do think there's an element of just a really tough schedule at, at yeah. play for Stanford right now that could skew some of those numbers, but at the same time, they just they haven't made the plays. So yeah. um and, until we see it, we we can't be entirely confident that Stanford's gonna be able to stop Oregon State offensively. And I think this matchup comes again at a very, very good time for Oregon State because you're playing a team that hasn't proven it can stop anyone, and your biggest weakness right now is your ability to get consistent offense.
1: Yeah. yeah. So I, I do, I think it's a Huge opportunity for Oregon State, and I'm anxious to see how they actually come out.
0: We will see. Um, Another note that I saw when I was doing some of the game prep and and writing some of our matchup previews, this one caught me off guard. Stanford is equally, if not more, turnover prone than Oregon State right now. I, I just
1: saw that on the notes.
0: Normally, you think of teams that are turnover prone. It's you know a, a in, inconsistent quarterback who's thrown a bunch of picks, and and for Oregon State that has been the case. But for Stanford, it's been fumbles. Uh, like I said, Stanford's only played four games. They're averaging two fumbles per game. Two fumbles lost Crazy. per game. Um, they've they've coughed the ball up eight times. via fumble and and four interceptions as well. So you, you so look. They're at averaging
1: the, three turnovers a game.
0: Yeah. Well. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Three turnovers yeah. per game. Yeah. It's, that's kind of absurd when you think about it. That's, a, yeah. that's a lot. I mean, Oregon State's not, State. I was going to say, <laughs> Oregon State's not averaging three turnovers yeah. per game, yeah. and yet it's thrown eight interceptions in the in last two, two weeks. So that just goes to show how bad the Stanford offense has been at taking care of the ball. Again, tough matchups, but still you have to make plays, and, and Stanford just hasn't done that. Yeah. Um, Let's talk a little bit more about the Stanford offense, the slow mesh. Angie, have, have you watched any of Stanford's games? Have you, have you seen that offense in action? Because I got to tell you sometimes, you know, these new offenses come along with you think back to chip Kelly running the spread at Oregon and you say, wow, that is going to catch on real quick because it's working and yeah, nobody yeah. looks like they can stop it. Slow mesh. On the other hand, I, <laughs> I don't know if that's going to catch on <laughs> quite like uh quite like what, uh, what Oregon innovated back about, what 10 15 years ago yeah. I think Wake Forest and Stanford are the only teams I've seen run it Wake Forest does it well Stanford doesn't
1: yeah I I have only seen little bits and pieces of Stanford so I not enough to to make any assumptions on it but um it, it isn't working for them I no. mean and, and their fan base is starting to get a little antsy which surprises me a bit because I because I thought they were kind of a in for life with David Shaw but you you go take a look at the 24/7 sports message board over there for Stanford. And there's some unhappy fans.
0: We'll use that as kind of a segue to get into our, our bigger picture segment here on Stanford. Um, no, let's, let's wait to, yeah, I, I, was gonna say, I, I was going to say, I was going to say, we could, we could take a quick break. Let's do that as we hit the half hour mark and we'll, we'll come back with some bigger picture stuff on Stanford. Um, we'll use this as an opportunity to remind everyone that beaverblitz.com is uh, continues to be the place to be for Oregon state news throughout the beavers 2022 season and their quest for a PAC 12 championship. Uh, our content might've been down a little bit this week with, with me feeling under the weather and, and Angie being busy and everything, but uh, we're, we're very quickly picking back up. I'll be down in California for the game and we'll have all sorts of coverage throughout the weekend. And then of course, as the season rolls along um, the bye week I believe is a couple weeks away, but, but yes. even then we'll, uh, We'll keep things going even when the team is is off the field for a little bit. So that, the
1: five weeks is actually a fun week because we can go. Carter and I then have time to kind of deep dive into some statistical analysis, and yeah. it's kind of a fun fun week.
0: Conversations in the lodge have been uh, very entertaining and and fun to read over the last couple of weeks as well. Great debates uh, with Oregon State struggling on one side of the ball and, and looking very good on the other. Um, you're gonna you're gonna get all of that at beaverblitz.com with a VIP subscription. So get in the lodge and and get access to some of our content that we put behind a paywall. Uh, that's uh, that's oftentimes our, our most entertaining and and most insightful reads, uh, and and you can only get access to that with a membership. So sign up today. We'd love to have you join us. Uh, you guys have continued to help us break through the roof and and shatter our records at Beaver Blitz and and on YouTube as well. Um, so this is why Carter gets to
1: travel to these games because uh, we never used to cover road, road games. So
0: we have nobody to thank, but everybody who's okay. listening to us live on YouTube and everybody who subscribed at beaverblitz.com. So we'd love to have you join us if you haven't already.
1: With Kizik Kan's free shoes motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at Pizzic.com slash socks.
0: All right, looking at the bigger picture for Stanford, so, Angie, before the before the break, you kind of mentioned that, you know, Stanford fans, however many there are, <laughs> have not been particularly thrilled with Stanford's play the last couple of seasons. And for good reason, Stanford for so long was thought of as one of the best teams out West, won a couple of Pac-12 titles. It's pretty much Stanford and Oregon there for, for quite some time. The Cardinal have really fallen off recently. They're one and three to start the year looking like one of the bottom dwellers in the pac 12 in 2022 do you think david shaw might be coaching for his job at this point i mean it feels weird to say because we think of david shaw as one of the best coaches in college football but i mean he's just not getting it done right now
1: yeah you know what what gets me is college football such a funny sport i mean gosh we just saw paul chris get fired at wisconsin and i mean he's I think had like no worse than an eight, like the worst season he's had is an eight-win season. Like
0: he had an almost identical record to Bo Pelini. Yeah, at Nebraska.
1: yeah, I and mean, it's just stupid what what goes on sometimes. But I think Stanford's Nebraska
0: is, fans want Bo Pelini back now. By the way,
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. It I, Stanford's an interesting job. I mean, because so for years they were horrible. I mean, yes, you could th- go back to the Walt Harris days and the um, Tyrone Willingham days; they were horrible stanford's an interesting place because of the academic piece to it and you know you throw in now i i really do think that the whole transfer portal has really affected stanford because stanford can't go out and just grab a guy mid-year to come in they have to still go through the whole academic admit admittance process um have all the you know requirements for whatever degree they're going to i mean it's not an easy thing at stanford um because Stanford doesn't water down things for athletes or, you know, those athletes need to be accepted just like uh, any other student. So um, I I do think that that uh, transfer portal has, has impacted them in a negative way um, when it comes to recruiting.
0: And I don't even think it's just limited to the portal. I think early signing period is part of that. I think the, the new whole, the, the big wave of early enrollees that you see come in before spring camp Stanford can't really do that. They're limited to five student or fifteen student athletes um, enrolling early per year, and I, I believe that's across all sports. I don't even think that's okay. just limited to football. I I could be wrong there, um, but the early signing period hurts them. I think it's I mean some crazy number like ninety five percent or something like that of, of high school student athletes are signing on early signing day, but Stanford won't admit students that early, and so they have to wait until january february um or or later to to bring these kids in i think that is it's it's unfortunate for stanford and and for that football program because some of that is out of their hands i mean a lot of that is is done at the administration level um but i think unfortunately you're just seeing college football kind of leave stanford in the dust with with some of that stuff i mean A lot of programs out there have adapted to it. Oregon State very well has adapted to it. I mean, Beavers were on on the cutting edge of the transfer portal. But schools like Stanford who have these policies in place and and have so many limitations to what they can do, it's just kind of unfortunate that, you know, I I think you're seeing the game kind of pass Stanford by right now.
1: Well, and I, I think that can kind of, yes, it's Stanford to a higher degree, but I see that with the whole conference realignment though as well when you look at the PAC 10 PAC 12 with their academic standards for conference, you know, admission coming into, you know, if you were to expand the conference, they have so many rules and academic um, areas that have to be met in order to be a member, which I get, I, I understand the, the prestige of being in the PAC 10 PAC 12. However, I think there needs to be some kind of some type of a, a, way to make the with the whole advent of super conferences and such pac-12 pac-10 is becoming irrelevant as well
0: we just uh we digressed i know sorry (laughs) it's okay no um i I think uh, stanford is very emblematic of a lot of the changes that we've seen in college football and how that can impact programs and and conferences i think we're seeing that right now in in stanford But on, on the flip side, now yeah, I'll, talk about the I'll throw I'll throw a, a little, you know, a, a silver lighting maybe to, to Stanford right now. You look at its one in three record and you say, man, this team's terrible right now. It's only win is against FCS Colgate. Um, <laughs> which, yeah, it's that's a tooth brace toothpaste brand. Um, three straight losses, but they've all been to ranked teams, and they've been to right now, will look like three of the best teams in the Pac-12: USC, Washington, and Oregon. And I believe two of those were on the road. I, th- I think the last two. Um, so I think it's possible that Stanford could be better than its record, right? Oh, I mean, absolutely. I mean, those those three teams are, are the class of the Pac-12 right
1: now. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. So that's where this matchup is, is interesting to me because now Oregon State has come off of two really tough losses against yeah. two of the best teams in the Pac-12. So you have two teams that are kind of down on their luck right now. And so how do they bounce back?
0: Yeah. That's the key. I mean, it's unfortunately for Oregon state, it has to bounce back on the road. Now, you know, road games in the PAC 12, they, they don't get any easier than Stanford, but still
1: UCLA. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, possibly. I mean, things, things looked a lot better against Washington. I'll give them credit. Um, Probably because they were giving away tickets for free, but um no, I, I think it, yeah, it's it's an interesting bounce back spot for both teams because they've gone through basically the exact same thing the last couple of weeks. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm curious. I I just think that I think too. You know, both teams are are down on their log. They're trending downwards. Whatever. Oregon State's still a better team than Stanford, right? Like we ha- like I think we agree there. Yeah, I mean we agree. even even though they've both kind of struggled in similar ways recently, like. Oregon State came into this season as a better team than Stanford. It's still a better team than Stanford, right? Like, Oregon State should win this game.
1: They should. Right? But I, do you need me to, like, reassure you, Carter? Um, <laughs> well, I'm kind of, questioning. I, kinda, so,
0: yeah. Um, Just because, yes, I mean, what have, what have we seen from Oregon State recently? Like, not no. good stuff.
1: Well, exactly. So, I, yes, on paper, I think Oregon State should roll this game. Yeah. But then you look at Oregon State and their struggles on the road, especially in Pac-12 games, that that kind of makes me question because we haven't seen consistency from them on the road. Um, and I, I don't know what it is about the road for, for Oregon State, but they just have struggled for years. So that part makes me pause a little bit. But, yeah, I'm, I actually I, I don't want to give anything away, but I will because I actually think Oregon State wins this game. I won't, I won't tell you by how much. You have to check yeah, we'll, tomorrow's we'll staff keep picks.
0: The, We'll keep the score predictions for, for the Beaver Blitz staff picks every Friday morning. Um, but, yeah, I, I I do agree. Like, Oregon State is a better team. Came into the year as a better team, still is, and and even with these teams playing very good teams and, and losing and looking bad doing it, um,
1: you know where the defense a, you know Hey
0: I'll, I'll say this there's a reason Oregon State opened as a touchdown favorite in all of the the sports books like you know what I'm people recognize you the difference that Oregon is? State's still the better team here The
1: the difference is and this is going to I mean this is what's so incredible the difference is in the defense and that yeah, is a huge credit true. to Trent Bray because this you wouldn't have said that last year
0: No and actually let's let's go back to last year while while we're at it Oregon State crushed Stanford and snapped what an 11 game losing streak in this yeah. series I believe. Um so you know the the monkeys off their back now. I mean Oregon State is is actually riding a winning streak in this series for the first time in over a decade. Um but it hasn't won on the farm since I believe 06 either oh, 06 right? or 08. Um so I mean this is a place that while we talk about it not being a very hostile environment and as far as road games go, it's, it's kind of an easy one. Well, Beavers haven't done it in more than 15 years, so they still kind of have something to prove there. But um, we'll come back to Stanford in a little bit. Let's let's shift our gears here and, and talk Oregon State, some news from Corvallis, some keys to the game, and then as we close things out, as we always do with um, some of the other Pac-12 games this week. But, Andrew, let's start with Jonathan Smith's press conference on Monday. Um, an interesting one. normally, yeah. Mondays are are spent talking about the upcoming opponent. You know, it starts off with a little bit of a recap from the last game. get some injury updates and whatnot. And then a lot of the focus is, is placed on what's ahead. you know, what's Oregon state working on this week? what's what does the opponent do that is gonna cause them problems? I think there was brief mention of Stanford, but for the most part, it was like 15 minutes of, of just kind of rehashing what went wrong Wrong. at Utah. And so kind of a, a, I guess a unique flow. We're we're getting kind of nerdy here, but a a unique flow to the press conference. Yeah. And I, I guess I'm curious what some of your takeaways were from Jonathan Smith, Jonathan Smith's thoughts on how Oregon state played coached, um, responded yeah to I, the Utah loss.
1: I like I'd love to be a fly on the wall in the Valley Football Center this week because yeah. I, I do think Jonathan Smith I, I think there's been some discussion. I, I think that you know him and Lindgren and the offensive staff have had to maybe have a little powwow this week and kind of figure out what went wrong. Um how to and maybe not even what went wrong, but as a coaching staff you have to take what what your team's doing so you see what they're doing and what they're not doing well. And then Come up, not only come up with a game plan, what, how you can attack the defense, but how you can create a game plan that works to your strengths as well. So um, that is where I think this, and, and Coach Smith, I think, alluded to the fact that, yeah, he wasn't maybe necessarily 100% happy with the play, some of the play calling and, and just some of the way that game kind of went, went down. Um, so that that's going to be interesting too. I mean, just to kind of see getting these getting these players in the best position for them. And um, sometimes I, I, I love Lindgren and his creativity and play calling, but sometimes I think he gets away from things that maybe just your bread and butter. Like I, I go back to that Washington state game last year, where you're, you're running the ball well. And all of a sudden he goes pass, 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 and the Beavs, you know, I, there's just certain times that it's, it reminds me back of the Danny, Danny Lang- Langsdorf days, which again, Good, good OC, but um, would sometimes I think overthink things.
0: Yeah, I I think still at the end of the day, you and I sit here and we think that Brian Lindgren is by and large one of the best offensive coordinators west of west of the Mississippi, right? I mean, he's he's very widely regarded as as one of the best coordinators in in not only in the Pac-12, but in college football.
1: Okay, okay, I'm going to go off on a tangent, though, because this is one of the things that's kind of been stuck in my head is you have Brian Lindgren, who's one of the top OCs, considered one of the best OCs, and Jonathan Smith. How in the hell has Oregon State struggled so hard to get good quarterbacks to commit to Oregon State?
0: It's a good question. I think the jury's still out on Ben Cole Branson but if he hasn't been able to run away with the job, now entering, what, year three of his career? Um, I guess you, you start to wonder, you know, what his, his ceiling that, really is.
1: That's probably a discussion for another day, but it's something yeah. that... You know, I think about sometimes.
0: Yeah, Aiden Childs coming oh, next huge. year. I think yeah. uh, I think could be the first to kind of reverse that trend and and be the quarterback that breaks through for them. But um, back to you know more yeah. more uh, this more week, week, week type yes. stuff. Sorry, um, I was in Utah. I was at Salt Lake City. I was at Rice Eccles, and you know was was taking in that post game press conference. A lot of Jonathan Smith, you know, a, a lot of his takeaways immediately after the game where, you know, we as coaches have to put the players in better positions. Like, you know, he, he was the first to admit, you know, Chance Nolan has to make better reads. Um, But he's, I think Jonathan is, I I think he's a great, I, I think he does a great job of analyzing the differences between the player didn't execute and the opposing team really just made a great play or our coaching staff didn't call the right play there. And so when he specifically calls out the coaches and himself multiple times in the postgame press conference, that doesn't happen often. But when it does, like, you know that it means something, because I I think he recognized that the play calling wasn't there. Um, You know that as far as game management goes, like they just they they weren't putting Chance Nolan and the rest of the offense in the positions that they should have to, to be successful. And and that's what ultimately cost them a couple of turnovers and what, I mean, probably didn't cost them the game because they just didn't execute well enough, long enough. But, um, I think the fact that we, that we heard Jonathan say that on Saturday and then he doubled down on it on Monday, it's very telling of, of how he kind of analyzed that game because we don't hear that very often.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I I mean, that's, that was my takeaway too. I mean, it's hard to get into Twitter and, and get into little debates, but, um, yeah, I, that was my, my take as well is that the the coaching staff maybe needed to look in the mirror on that one a little yeah. bit, not, not a hundred percent. I'm not putting the hundred percent of the blame on coaching staff, but, um, there was, there were some questions there that, like I said, and it really, to me, in my opinion, it was the beginning of the game, yeah. not once it got out of hand, because once it's out of hand, you have to be throwing, but it was those early, um, early first three possessions that really, um, kind of made me scratch my head a little bit.
0: And some of the red zone play calls, I mean, throwing on first and goal from the eight, like, you know, that's, that's typically a running situation and you throw and it turns into an end zone pick. So yeah, there, there are some play calls that I think they're, you know, they're, they're probably looking back on. Um, Let's, let's move on to the injury side because obviously Jonathan's Monday press conference, lots of injury news usually comes from that. You mentioned earlier on Luke Musgrave, Trello remain out. Low again, is, is getting closer. I think we'll see him again before too long. Yeah. Alton Julian still kind of ramping up. They're not going to rush him back, but I, I do think we see him at, at some point this year. The thing is, we're getting to this point in the season now where, I mean, these guys only have to sit out two more games before they can redshirt. So, yeah. you know, some so of these guys, point, if if you don't see them before the bye week, don't be surprised if you see him in November.
1: Yeah, I mean, because think about that. If you can get Alton Julian back let him redshirt this year when you yeah. potentially, you know, when you're losing Jaden Grant, that's a huge, you know, yeah, give him an extra
0: year. That'd be big. And I, I think now that we're at this point in the season, entering game six, you know, looking at the way that defensive backfield is shaped up, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they just strategically held Julian out, but I guess we'll see. Um, the other injury update of, of course was on Chance Nolan. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan said that he would need to get, most or all of the week of practice under his belt and, and look good doing it in order to have a chance to start. Otherwise, geez, excuse me, this, this Gatorade is uh, <laughs> it's, it's giving me the, the burps, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, if, if chance is unable to go on Saturday, Ben Branson will be the starter. Tristan will be the backup. Tristan Jeppia will be uh, the backup to Ben in that case. So there's now a, a very clear pecking order very, at quarterback. It's, yeah. you know, chance Nolan, Bengal Branson, Tristan Jebbia. I think Smith in in the past couple of days and after Saturday, very clear in that he is sticking with chance Nolan. If he is healthy, you know, this wasn't a benching for chance. He legitimately got injured. He's working back from an injury. Um, I think Smith in the past has very much been a, a guy to commit to one quarterback and roll with him. And I think we're seeing that again this year, um, just based off of, you know, kind of the the verbiage of everything he has said this week makes me believe that he's sticking with chance, even through his struggles. Um, uh, a couple the of the one, other.
1: Yeah. Joe golden. I know. Yeah. Is out. Uh, isn't he day to day? He's day to day. Yeah. But yeah. he wasn't a boot. He injured himself pregame in Utah. Yeah. So. Um, I actually got a text from one of our members and said, "Joe Golden just limped into the locker room, and then a little later, and Joe Golden's on the sideline in a boot." <laughs> yeah, uh,
0: Marco Brewer is is still day to day to day to day as well. I actually saw him warm up for the Utah game. He was running with the twos, um, and that, I, I I could be wrong on this, but I feel like I saw him come in for like a special teams play or something during yeah. the game. So um, I wouldn't be surprised to see him get back into the starting lineup as, as soon as this week, if, if not the next. Um, and I think that pretty much rounds everybody out. Yeah. A couple of other interviews throughout the week, Trent Bray talking about the slow mesh was one of the points that stood out to me. Um, it's it's a unique offense, again, that Stanford runs and, and one where you'll see the quarterback and, and the running back kind of hold the ball together in the backfield for a few seconds. It looks very weird. It's it's like very unlike any offense that you have seen in college football. Um, and it's basically an RPO-based offense. Yeah. So, if the quarterback likes the read that he sees downfield, he'll pull the ball and throw it. If he sees the front seven kind of, you know, playing back and you know taking away the run, he'll hand it to the running back, and the running back will make his read. So it's it's a very heady type offense, and I call it the smart person offense because, well, I mean, it, it, it takes it takes a lot to you know, to be able to make those reads real time. But then you look at the two teams that run it, Wake Forest and Stanford are, are two of the most prestigious academic institutions in this country. So um, yeah, I, I call it the smart person offense, but as Trent Bray said on Wednesday, Oregon State has a, a challenge this week and that it's yeah. facing an offense that it hasn't played against before and scheming against it. You know, you really have to emphasize your discipline with your eyes and, and, you know, staying focused locked onto the ball and not focusing on, you know, anything that they're throwing at you and just and making the read um and, and making it difficult for the quarterback and, and running backs to make their reads as well. So I'm I'm curious to see how Oregon State approaches it. But I'm I'm glad that Trent Bray was was asked about that and um, you know kind of got his his thoughts on on facing that unique offense as well.
1: Do you think they, they keep a spy? Like keep Jaden Grant or Omar 100%. Spade back as yeah.
0: Hundred percent. We've seen Oregon State do that in the past against mobile quarterbacks and um, you know dangerous running backs who can who can make plays as receivers as well. Casey Filkins can do that. He is a receiving um, a receiving running back as yeah. as well. Um, I, I think yeah, you see like an Omar Spates or a, yeah, to your point, a, a Jaden Jay Grant, 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 maybe Ryan Cooper Jr. at Nickelback yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, don't be surprised but, to to see a spy there and and take away some of. Yeah, You know, to be there to stay home if the quarterback makes a late decision.
1: And knowing Trent Bray, that that spy is going to mix up a lot. Yeah.
0: Um, Anything else stick out to you? Brian Lindgren said that Oregon State needs to take care of the ball. I think that's obvious. I
1: I think the the biggest thing for me was hearing from both sides, both offense and defensive players, just that they are sticking together. And um, I want to believe that. And they seemed genuine. I I hope it's not just lip service and that there is – but I have not heard of any kind of division in the locker room right now. So
0: I'm very confident in this team's ability to stay together. And, yeah. you know, very you hear that, group. you hear that from coaches everywhere. You know, the, the coaches are always going to say, Oh yeah, yeah, our guys are totally bought in and we're, you know, we have great leaders and everything. Well, I, I actually do believe that. Yeah, at I, Oregon I do State. <laughs> you know, Jaden Graham's a seventh year senior. He's not yeah. going to let this locker room. Brandon
1: Kipper. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a solid, solid guys there.
0: Yeah. I'm I'm not too concerned to that, about that, but it is obviously good to hear that from from everybody and it seems like every player that uh, that spoke this week and every coach that spoke mentioned some of that that leadership that they've seen. Um keys to the game. Let's let's move on to our okay. next segment here. So Angie and I as as always did not discuss beforehand we we kind of surprise each other with our keys to the game here. I'll start Offensively, you and i the easiest one. Dude. <laughs> oh, <no>. Hey, <laughs> hey Angie's looking, run looking down. at the rundown now, uh, she sees that, that my offensive key is hold period on period to period the period ball. Um, yeah, Oregon State's got to take care of the ball offensively, plain and simple. I think enough said eight turnovers that's, in the last two yeah. games. There,
1: you're you're yeah, not going to win games like that's that. That's called mic drop right there. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm not going to argue with that. I, yeah. I mean, after what we've seen the past two weeks. There you have weird. it. I guess, I guess yeah, we're but... in agreement
0: there. I mean, it's kind of, it's, I mean, it's an obvious one, but I think it's <laughs> it's very clear. And I mean, if we're being honest, that is exactly what has cost Oregon State its last two games. I mean, that's really the only thing that stands out as a weakness from from Oregon State's last two games. And so I think, you know, is it yeah. uh I mean, is it kind of taking the easy way out? Sure, but I, I think it really is just as simple as that. If Oregon State cleans up the turnovers, it's good enough to beat anybody. We don't need in, to get all fancy twelve.
1: We don't need to be Brian Lindgren fancy. Yeah. It's, it's easy.
0: All right. Well then let's Defense. uh let's flip to the defensive side. I I think this could go one of, of multiple ways, but I'll, since I took the the easy one last, I'll I'll give you the uh I'll give you the mic here. Defensive okay. key to the game.
1: Well, I see yours and it's a it's a very solid one but I think the defensive key to this game is going to be using that spy and, and stopping the mo- um, Tanner McKee from running the ball. Okay. Trying to, trying to, uh, you know, run that RPO because we've seen mobile quarterbacks, um, gash <clears throat> Oregon state in the past.
0: Um, okay. So if I told you Tanner McKee has run for like negative 50 or something yards this year. Yeah. Make you feel a little better about Oregon. It does, state it does. And, I, and I'm not,
1: and I'm not, totally worried about it it's just yeah. i i can see them scheming to take advantage of sometimes oregon state's deficiency there Fair so enough. um i don't think it's going to be an issue but i want to especially
0: hey no to your point especially in an option-based offense where i mean yeah, you're, you're I mean, letting the quarterback and running back make all the all the reads they that's want.
1: that's where i've that's where i've just seen oregon state struggle time and time yeah. again for years and this isn't just a new thing this is dating back to the mike riley era um rpo Option quarterbacks—it has been a, a bane of Oregon State. So, plus, I, I wanted to take something different than yours, but yours is like rock solid. So,
0: all right. So, Angie's key: use the spy and and use it effectively. I, I think you, I think we will see a lot of that this week against that. Option and and some that.
1: sacks. Let's let's just I'll be right. super greedy, and we haven't seen many sacks lately. So let's get a couple sacks. Sack town. That support. is okay. That is what it. Sack town is my key to the game.
0: <laughs> okay, so Sac Town, <laughs> uh, Sacramento, California copyright infringement claim coming soon. I, I, isn't that? Don't the Kings use Sac Town as like their, Eric's their like their thing? I think that's like I think that's like their Rip City, basically. Uh,
1: you know what? Then they ripped that off from Eric because Eric's older and he has been calling Sacramento Sac Town forever. Well, yeah.
0: Nobody, okay. nobody, uh nobody come for the damn podcast with copyright yeah. claims. um Okay. My defensive key to the game for Oregon State against Stanford. Defensive backfield absolutely has to flex its muscles this week. This is potentially the best secondary in the conference. I, I think Utah last week proved that that it has a stake to that claim, but I, I do think Oregon State's defensive backs have just played at just an, an otherworldly level yeah. so far this year. As we kind of expected. Um but it, it's been impressive nonetheless to see it. This is a week where they're going to rely very heavily on that group because, as I said earlier, Stanford hasn't had much of a running game, especially with EJ Smith out. I mean, you're running with Casey Filkins, who just got his first career start like two weeks ago. He's been solid, don't get me wrong. Uh, but Stanford is is kind of a pass-first team, even in that slow-mesh offense where you know they do have the ability to pull it if they want um it, Tanner McKee is a, like you said a, I believe a former five-star quarterback um he's a guy who's been there for a while he's a veteran um is he he's like actually, 30 now yeah something like that he he did he, he, went he went on an LDS mission before so yeah this is probably like and he's he probably is close to 25 at this point actually um but yeah, a, a veteran quarterback who who we know has ability. We didn't see him last year against Oregon State because he was hurt. Um, I just think that that with him, with that, with that wide receiving core, um, they they always have very good tight ends. They have another good tight end this year in in Ben Urosic. A lot of weapons that can hurt you there, and and they're going to rely upon it. But everything outside of that so far for Stanford has looked mediocre. So if Oregon State can take the passing game away. I just think the Beavers have the advantage across the board outside of that. So, yeah, it's it's one of those situations where Stanford's best attribute lines up against Oregon State's best attribute. And I have to give the nod to Oregon State just because, I mean, the Beavers have just looked that good defensively so far.
1: It's hard to argue with that. It's going to be a fun matchup.
0: It is. Uh, we've got just a couple minutes here, so let's run through some of the other Pac-12 games as we always like to do. Just you know, get a quick thought on each of them, and then we'll get out of here. Things get started early on Saturday. There's no, there's no Thursday night, Friday night games this week, but we do get the Pac-12 game of the week, 12:30 p.m. on Fox, Utah going to UCLA. This has instant classic written all over it, especially after the way UCLA played against Washington last week. The Bruins are still somehow undefeated. Um, I still even, think they suck. <laughs> yeah, even with some of the struggles they had <laughs> against very poor competition early in the year. You've got Utah, Utah is a three and a half point favorite going down to LA. Um, any any thoughts on what I think is easily the Pac-12 game of the week?
1: Oh, easily the game of the week. My my biggest thought is that they're only Utah's only three and a half point favorites. Yeah. I, I mean I think Utah wins this game by 14. All right. That's head to your head
0: head to uh, head to Caesar Sportsbook, the official sports book of CBS, and place your bet, bets with uh, with bet, Angie's advice there.
1: I just I have not seen enough from UCLA to think I, I guess I guess I, I I'm kinda biased though because I grew up a USC fan and so I've always hated UCLA and gotcha. they wear baby blue. And I'm wearing
0: baby blue shorts today.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I just, I don't, and then like watching their struggles. I, I just have like so little respect for UCLA. I just, that's where I'm at. Chip Kelly. And I is, think Utah is good. Yeah. I think they're the I real
0: mean, deal. Chip Kelly's saving his job and, and he gets another big opportunity this week. I, I think they really handled business uh, in a game that their fan base really expected them to to go big Do go and do big things in that spot against Washington. And sure enough, they did, um, kind of silencing some of the doubters, myself included. I mean, I thought yeah, Washington I mean, was going to kind of roll kept... in that one.
1: Yeah.
0: But I, speaking I, I of those Huskies. That.
1: Yeah, the Huskies have Arizona State.
0: Yeah. They're you... at Arizona State in tempe 1 p.m. on Pac 12 Network. Washington's a two touchdown favorite right now. Um, yeah. Huskies are are probably going to run away with that thing. Yeah, Arizona yeah. State's just not good.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, they're in, in shambles. Actually, though, the next game actually has some intrigue to me Washington State at USC. Uh, that might, might be kind of fun.
0: Yeah. Uh, Washington State 12 and a half point underdog right now, 4 30 p.m. on Fox going down to the Coliseum. Obviously, a very tough place to play. Washington State has looked good outside of the fourth quarter against Oregon. Um, that's that's a tough yeah, one. That's
1: I mean, that'll one. be an interesting game because I. I think Washington State's offense can keep up with them a little bit. Yeah. Um, how about Oregon, thirteen point favorites at Arizona?
0: Oregon, uh, yeah. Just I, I'd, I'd bet Oregon heavy in, in that one. I don't think Arizona has the defense to slow down what looks like probably the second best offense in the Pac-12 behind USC right now. Bo Nix is is absolutely clicking there. Um, Oregon Oregon looks unstoppable right now. They they really do. They they look like the team that I think we expected to see this year. And, and the, the team that we didn't know that we would see after that loss to, <coughs> excuse me, after that loss to Georgia, but, um, man, they, they've bounced back in a big way. Okay.
1: Well, if there's a color combo that I respect less than baby blue is yellow and green. So
0: I'll just yeah. go there. I, nice. I still think
1: they're soft. I still think um, they're top four team in the conference, but yeah, I'm, I'm, God, I'm starting to sound like Lee Corso here with my rants. I'm going to just hush up.
0: Not so fast.
1: Not so fast.
0: Um, before we get out of here, since we're talking point spreads, Oregon State right now, six and a half point favorite at Stanford. Are you uh are you are you leaning one way or another on that?
1: Well I picked the Beavs to win by seven. So I don't know. Uh, there you go.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's uh I think that's a fair number. Obviously we don't know who's starting at quarterback for Oregon State, so there's a little bit of uncertainty. Uh, on the Oregon State offense right now, but yeah, I, I, I think I, I'm pretty confident in Oregon State's ability to win this game, regardless of who's that quarterback. Yeah, and I, I, think don't, I don't. I don't think the
1: quarterback. Oh. I, I don't think the quarterback makes that big a difference because I think no. Kansas struggled so much at the late. Um, I, I'm not necessarily. It's not necessarily a bad thing to see a, a, some new blood in there.
0: I'll say this: going into the year, I, I think I picked Oregon State as probably a two to three touchdown favorite over Stanford. I think I'd I'd backtrack that a little bit just because of the turnovers recently, but I still think Oregon state is at least a touchdown better than Stanford and and probably more. So yeah, give give me, give me the bees by at least six and a half. Um, But that is, man, we, we went overtime today. I know. kind of expected that we had some Utah stuff to talk uh, on the uh on the front end of the show now that uh now that we're both we're both good we're both healthy we are fully back in the uh back in the Oregon State football Beaver Blitz mindset uh we will be back on Sunday to recap that game i'm getting back to Oregon very early um i'll be i'll be back in, in Sherwood in the early afternoon so we will definitely go live on Sunday, Sunday to recap the game um, but in the meantime, head to beaverblitz.com on game day. Have all sorts of coverage from California. Uh, a couple of more points of of, of preview content coming up uh, beforehand as well. And I so, just
1: got word from um, Peter at Riley Osborne that trench tr- the trench report is waiting in my inbox. So um, nice. if you want to become a smarter football fan, you definitely want to be a VIP member to read that because he actually does film breakdown um, with him dissecting plays. So it's definitely... A must must read article each week.
0: Another good reason to head to beaverblitz.com and join as a VIP member ahead of this week's game at Stanford. We're going to be back on Sunday to recap that game. Until then, you can follow Angie on Twitter at Angie Machado1. You can follow me at Carter Baines, and we'll talk to you on Sunday for another episode of the Damn Podcast. <music>